Welcome to Cooking the Books, the weekly podcast series of half-hour programmes about books in which food is the story. I'm Jilly Smith and each week I find the full food moments that take us on a journey through the books of my guests. And this week we go back in time to Palestine, the homeland of Sami Tamimi, executive chef of the Ottolenghi Empire and co-author with his friend Yotta Ottolenghi of possibly my favourite cookbook ever, Jerusalem. I went to Sammy's home for lunch with his co-author, Tara Wigley, of their new book, Falestine, to find him cooking me up one of his favourite food moments, the cauliflower fritters his mum made him before he went to school every morning. So we're doing uh, cauliflower fritters. They have dominantly cumin and pasta and onion. They're very, very simple. They're my mum's uh, recipe. And we used to get them for school lunch, stuffed in pita bread. Um, and they are, you know, nice, warm or room temperature. You can have them for breakfast, lunch and dinner. <laughs> or you can wake up in the middle of the night and just have them as well as a snack. Um, basically, they are cauliflower that have been boiled in salted water for about 15 minutes until it's soft and I'm going to start to crush it now. Yeah. Which is the, the reason I'm doing that, so you don't get big lumps of the, the cauliflower. Uh, because you're going to mix it with the rest of the ingredients here, which is I have flour, egg, salt, pepper, cumin, uh, cinnamon, salt and pepper, and a little bit of um, baking powder. Wow. Your mom made these for you in the morning yes. when you went to school. Yeah. <laughs> and How did she get up? Um, they don't take long, actually. <laughs> you know, once you have everything done... Here in a bowl, you can leave it in the fridge and uh, crack on the cauliflower, which is basically just cutting it and boiling it and then adding it to here. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to... It's important that the cauliflower is really hot because it's almost like making a cake. Uh, they're still warm while you're frying them. Yeah. I'm going to mix it here and then we'll fry them later okay. on. Okay. You can make the batter in advance, though. Well. You you can, but it's better to have it um, while it's still hot, because you sometimes you just need to add a little bit more flour or or uh, baking powder, because baking powder can loses the the whole effect. So you've put that mashed cauliflower, gently mashed, yeah. into the mixture, yeah. folding it all together, just like you would a cake. Yeah. Wow, look at all those colours and the yeah. flavours. Did, did I mention turmeric? Also turmeric, which is, uh, I think, um, they are very, very similar to uh, vegetable pakoras, which mm-hmm. is Indian. And I think um, they probably came for, to Palestine from Persia through the Ottomans. Uh, this is probably one of those great recipes that you can use with just about anything from the back of the fruit, can't you? Any leftover vegetables, it, put you that need, into the Yeah, water. you need something quite meaty. Uh, yeah. it, if you're using, for example, uh, courgettes, yeah. you need to um, grate them or chop them and then squeeze them really, really well okay. because they contain quite a lot of uh, water. Just, That's it. We've just got another recipe for the pea and spinach. And yeah. And you can do them with lots of things. I mean, I, I, I even did them with the half-boiled potatoes. Well, I was going to say, I've got some butternut squash halves in my fridge. I might try them out tonight. You need, you need to boil it a bit. Yeah. I mean, I would boil it in kind of big chunks and then uh, crush it or, or mash it. Yeah. And that's it. Now, sometimes it's really, really thick. So I add a little bit of water, like a few tablespoons of water. Okay. And that's it. Okay. And then yeah. you put them in the hot oil. I'm going to, yeah, go. later fry them. 
they take literally seconds. Four minutes. Oh, four minutes. Yeah. And How many minutes? Do you eat? <laughs> <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll put the oil on. Okay. So I mean, you can do them as big as this, which is kind of small fritters. So you're not rolling those up. You're... No, no. Is it it's, because it's too it's, a, it's almost like a batter. You yeah. know, it's kind of a, it's like a, um, uh, drop scones. Yeah. But it's a fritter uh, that will find its own form. Yeah, because of the egg. And the flour, they, they hold. And I don't want to move them too much in the oil. You can see it's a kind of uh, semi-deep uh, frying. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you do, you just, kind of just leave them alone. And you will see the edges starting to get kind of crispy. And this is the time when you need to turn them. Delicious. And the aroma is already up. Time for school! <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, thank you so much for lunch for a start. That was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Sammy, d- did it feel like much more of a, a Palestinian feast than something we would expect from Jerusalem, for example? Uh, Palestine is a, a sister of uh, Jerusalem. It's, it's almost like a, um, the story kind of continue from it started in Jerusalem and now we're finishing it in, in Palestine. I relate to food like this and uh, I cook every day. Even if I cook all day at work, I come back home and cook because I find it quite um, important that me and Jeremy sit down and have a meal together. Because yeah. it's the only meal that we have together a whole day, except, you know, the weekends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, this, and, the, and you had this idea when you went home to your family in Jerusalem. I, it actually started before that. It started before we even did Jerusalem, where I thought... I really want to do a Palestinian cookbook uh, because it, it's almost like crowning all, all the hard work I did over uh, the last 30 years. And uh, I know that my family are kind of uh, proud of me, but I wanted to kind of have something that, you know, they can hold in their yeah, hands. your name. Tara, it's also in your name. You've been part of the Ottolenghi family for 10 years as well. How does it feel to be the observer in this very important story of Sammy's? It feels like a real privilege to these recipes that are Sammy's family, his dad's eggs and his nama fatouche and the fritters who just eaten for lunch. Um, that have become my recipes and my 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 fruit bowl at home is as full of lemons as as uh, as Sammy's is so it's it's a complete joy. So the two of you went on a number of trips. How many? We went on three or four together, yeah. and I went on a couple by myself. I did a culinary tour, and I also ran around Bethlehem twice. A writing collaborator kind of offers a different way of capturing those kind of memories. We'll talk to Sammy in, in a moment about the ownership of Palestinian food, but how did you feel kind of interpreting his life? I felt like an outsider adventuring, and I'd be sitting with Sammy and his family in their sitting room, which was lined with four sofas, with everyone speaking Arabic and me not understanding a word and just being given food after food after food. And yet, even though I wasn't understanding the words, I felt able to see what was happening and observe the dynamic between these siblings who 
see each other and don't see each other and come and go, but all come together for this meal. So yeah. it felt like a real privilege. Yeah, and of course, you, you know, the, the room, I think you actually say that the room was kind of filled with the tensions and the family dynamics, and yeah. not speaking about things that go on in families. Although we didn't talk about a lot of things after all these years, but uh, for them to show love and appreciation and connection, they... Um, they just kind of bring it up in in their uh, cooking and more cooking and more food and sweets and salty things and more drinks and and then you bring then, then a new table is brought in and then you move yeah. to a different room for the makluba and yeah and they rustle such a big feast in such such a short time and Palestinian women do kind of help each other so they they were just doing more and more and more cooking and we just like no more and another tray of sweets will come and this is how they uh, uh, show their affection and love and you know appreciation and also welcoming other people into their homes and this is what Tara also uh, kind of captured in 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 her kind of writing where she couldn't talk to them but she saw the whole kind of um, love in the air and you know teasing each other in Arabic and all that but but uh, mainly eating all this delicious food. Yeah. Let's go to the fast food moment. So you have chosen falafel. Why? Uh, falafel is... Um, Palestinians eat falafel all day. There's no right or bad time for it. Uh, you can have it for breakfast, for lunch, snack on the way back home with all the tahini and the chili kind of dribbling on your skin. <laughs> You've been told <laughs> off after that. And it's a kind of a super comfort food. You, you go late at night and have a falafel. And it's, uh, Ramadan especially, it's, like, it's a kind of, uh, it's almost like a ritual because yeah. it's so busy and the falafel man just can't make enough of these the uh, green sweet. patties. Yeah, <laughs> um, People actually queue and wait and there's no like, uh, I, I know this person so I can <laughs> jump the queue. Yeah, yeah. This whole, um, it's almost like, yeah, like a ritual where you just stand there and wait for your falafel and you get it. And whether it's in a pita or in a paper bag, you're taking it home. And I always kind of remember, I always munched on a few before I got back home. Yeah. And there's nothing you can describe. It's like this whole kind of steaming, nutty, bit garlicky, herby, uh, deliciousness. Just for Sammy and also your Sammy used to get so sad when they see kind of cold falafel sitting in supermarket shelves in the UK and people think this is falafel that was cooked the day before and even hummus in its cold pot. And if falafel's not eaten hot out of the fryer and hummus is not warm and creamy, yeah. there's something wrong. And yet for a lot of people, they've never actually tasted proper falafel. Yeah, yeah. Now... I would say that falafel is the food of the Middle East. It's, you know, it's what you think of when you think about the kind of the Israeli scene in London. You'd, you know, you think about Tel Aviv, you'd think about Israeli markets. This book is particularly about Palestine. Palestine means Palestine. Correct. Yeah. And so what is particularly Palestinian about a falafel? Why did you choose that as your first food moment? In Bethlehem, the the restaurant everyone goes to is the falafel shop. So even though it's a food that's shared all over the Levant, it's about people and place. So in Bethlehem, the smell in, in Nativity Square is of, the, is of the falafel and the falafel man. And Bethlehem is, of course, in, in Palestine. Yeah. yeah. But in, in our book, we've, we've um, put a little pop of sumac onions in our falafel. 
because we um, we don't want to write the book that's been written uh, a, lot, a lot of other times. So some of the traditional recipes we've stuck to tradition, but some of them we've put a contemporary pop in them. Yeah. So sumac is a very traditional ingredient, but it's not it's not it's not the normal way to do it. How did you feel about playing with those recipes? Uh, well, Sammy led on the recipe creation with Noor, who's from Bahrain, so she's Arabic. So I was tasting and testing the recipes, but I wasn't the one with my apron. So I'm, I'm, I'm there as sort of number three with the recipes, but I was leading on the writing. But it was a constant process of me suggesting things, um, and some of them would be taken on board, and then others would be absolutely clamped down by Sammy. For example, if I thought that quinoa could maybe work instead of bulgur wheat for those who wanted to have a gluten-free option, Sammy must have told me every day for two years that this would be a book uh, without quinoa in it. It was a constant conversation that led to a sort of frizz of energy in the book. It it was almost like a process between me, Tara. Um, Noor helped quite a lot in creating some of the dishes where when we started, I kind of... I was really loyal to the traditions and loyal to the dishes themselves and also the the ingredients. And after a while, we realized that, you know what, we're writing another book that have the same set of recipes and what's the point of doing this? And I kind of felt, oh my God. But then slowly kind of clicked. Why don't we just actually take it without the dish losing its kind of its own essence and change it slightly or garnish it or put another ingredient that it, it didn't belong to start with, but it, it kind of makes it a, a little bit better. The food of the Middle East has been moving forever. It's the food of the diaspora, isn't it? People have been moved in and out of those lands for thousands and thousands of years. But it is about identity at the same time. It's something that doesn't change in the homes did you feel any sense of responsibility to, to, to have that loyalty that's so important to food and identity? A huge amount of responsibility. And for us, the analogy between recipes and stories is just a constant thread throughout the book. And this idea of every time you tell a story, some parts change, some parts stay the same, the essence stays the same, but an absolutely huge responsibility at the same time as being being also keen to observe how ever-changing recipes and stories are. Yeah. Sami? Yeah, I mean, the same question. I feel very responsible uh, because it's my heritage, my food, and, you know, the the, the whole Palestinian um, struggle. But uh, on the other hand, we didn't do anything wrong. We just kind of did something that beautiful and people are going to love it. And uh, I'm proud to be you know part part of this book um, i don't i don't feel any kind of regret or kind of losing identity or anything like that yeah and also we want this book to be used by people throughout the week on a monday night yeah. so there's no point in us having a recipe for a massive lamb that's cooked in a fermented disc of yogurt that no one can can access yeah. uh wherever they live in the uk or yeah. or so, so this is a book for the for the busy home cook. So we've got our celebratory Palestinian dishes that will take you the whole of Saturday morning to make. But half the dishes are dishes that you're making for a Wednesday lunch. Yeah, because we need to be uh, 
quite realistic. Who's going to buy the books? I mean, the people that already knows how to roll vine leaves, they don't need a book for that. So you're uh, not worried about how it's going to go down back, back at home? I, I'm, I'm, I think, yeah, I think it'll be... A, I hope it's going to be a really kind of um, successful... But the people we've profiled in the book, we tell the stories of 12 different people and places... Uh, of different people who are doing really interesting things in Palestine today with food um, and their opinion means a lot to us and they are all real champions of the book. Yeah, yeah and they're all very excited about it. I'm know, sure they are. But I'm just thinking about that story you're telling where you met somebody who'd heard of you they didn't know it was you. Actually, I, um, I was the kid of the 80s in Jerusalem. I lived in West Jerusalem and there was this kind of bar... In I think in Tel it's a neighborhood there, and uh, me and my friends just go there and just kind of um, hang out, and uh, and then I years later I heard that the, the the bar closed and the guy basically left, and it becomes another restaurant now. But we were in a restaurant that had been kind of recommended by a, a friend of ours that was guiding us around Palestine and Israel. And we sat down with the owners. His name is Daher. And, and this is in Nazareth. This is in Nazareth. And I kind of asked him, so how did you start the whole thing? And he told me, he started saying, I had this bar in Jerusalem and it used to be called this. Like, oh my God, it's you. It's like, you know, I, you know as a teenager, I used to go and, and hang out with, in your bar. So that. And then he started, you know, this whole kind of conversation. He hated Everything he he, he, wanted... he, had, he had very strict ideas about what his guests should and shouldn't do, and he went through each sort of national stereotype and confirmed their reality. And then he was quite terrifying because we were all slightly hungover because it was Jeremy's birthday the night before, and we yeah. no one wanted to have a drink. And then first thing he said, "I hate guests who come and don't have a drink. Everyone who comes to my restaurant has a drink." Like, okay, three beers. <laughs> and we're talking about you know Palestinian food and Israeli food, and and the, and then. All of a sudden he said, and did you hear about this guy that opened a, re- a restaurant and now he's celebrating with this Israeli guy? And, uh, and uh, I just kind of, it was like a minute silent and then and, and I said, it, you're talking about me. <laughs> and it, it's like, he woke up. He just went to the kitchen after that. <laughs> so for this guy, food is politics and politics is food. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because the night before we'd been in Haifa, which is very different to Nazareth. Uh, talking with a guy who is Arabic Palestinian guy who just wouldn't be pinned down at all on on what he called himself, what he called his food. It was just for him. It was just about food and music and celebration. So it was really interesting. Two guys, half an hour apart, both working with food, and they just couldn't have a more different relationship yeah. with it. And it's something. I mean, obviously, the politics of the Middle East is just really, really, really tricky. I think that you've. You've you've talked about it. You've talked about the issues of the Palestinians. You've talked about very specifically through people's stories. Yeah. And the book is all about people. And it tells the tale very, very clearly about daily life in Palestine is not easy. Yeah. One of those stories is a woman called Islam. Islam, yeah. And she is in the Aida refugee camp. Yeah, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. In Bethlehem. She does cookery courses from her home in a refugee camp. Correct. Tell us about what you learned from her about Palestine now. Um, that, 
you know, with all the difficulties that they're facing on a daily basis where, you know, uh, a lot of things happen around, she managed to um, pull herself out um, and do something for herself and for the community. She's got a disabled kid that she couldn't put anywhere. In There wasn't any even an establishment for him. And she created that. She created it for the community, for kids like her son, which is he's disabled, and to, be, to make a better life for herself. He said, she said, I can sit here and cry all day, but I wanted to do something uh, to, to basically not feel like I need to sit down and cry all day. And she's doing amazingly. When, when I met her first time, she didn't speak much English. Second time, she was speaking English, and she didn't go to school. She just learned it from talking to people. And she does everything with lots of passion. And she loves people. And language is not always a barrier. And it's a wonderful thing to see where she lives in a little house, in a camp, uh, with awful conditions. But she did something with her life. She didn't just sit there and... Um, and there's laughter yeah. and there's fun and there's community and... And, uh, and then she, we spent the morning making this shishka barak, which is little dumplings cooked in the fermented yogurt. And watching Sammy eat this, it was like this little kind of spotlight going onto this man who was having this amazing Madeleine moment, taking him back to the food of his childhood. And it was a great moment. You've said, Sammy, that the, the, the food is cooked by women in mm. Palestine. Correct. I mean, they are the best... Um, Cooks. Men choose to be chefs uh, as a career, but women actually have the passion to cook and feed. Uh, and it's a bit like my mother or father, where my father cooked for the joy of cooking and then he didn't really so much like to share it. My mother cooked to share the food with her, kid, with her kids and the family. And so it's, it kind of starts and ends there. I mean, they, they learn uh, the cooking trade from a young Kind of, it goes from sister to to a mother to a grandma, where they kind of teach each other uh, how to cook. And before, men, before, men, men are not included in that. Before Sammy gets destroyed by every Arabic man, uh, we met some beautiful male producers of uh, tahini, kamel, hashalom, yes, yeah. and and beautiful olive oil producers and farmers so yeah. so uh, just on behalf of uh, arabic men we and, met some and, great ones and in haifa as well lox lox and almarsa he uh, uh he's a very talented chef i'm not saying that you're talking about the difference between chefs and cooks it's the same the world yeah. over yeah. women cook to feed men cook to make money the, they will do the you know the uh, kind of barbecue yeah the men, the, men, the men are not hand rolling them after all like well that. exactly yeah. no. but how does it feel to be taking going over to your homeland taking I was all... just going to talk to you about this kind of moment in Aida's with Islam when we entered and she was starting to do the shishparak and I said to her oh I know how to do shishparak and she just <laughs> gone to the other lady and said <laughs> and I started doing them and he knows <laughs> Zaki, which is. What did she see that you were doing? Yeah. But was it was something you did with your hands, or was it? No, I was rolling the paste, the, the dough very, very thinly, and it need to be 
super thing. But this was and a classic role reversal because whilst he was doing this, then her husband was then giving Sammy a hard time about the fact that his <laughs> yeah. life had no meaning because he had no children. And <laughs> me and Islam caught each other's eye because it was these two men having this discussion of basically, can you have it all? And this conversation that women have been having for decades and decades and decades. And Sammy was like, it's okay, I'm happy, I don't need to live. It, it was a good role reversal moment. But how does it feel kind of holding, going back to your homeland and bringing these recipes it, back as a man? It's, it's wonderful and it's... Um, it's almost like a, um, but it can't be underestimated a, the the uh, extent to which Sammy is unusual. This boy who is shooed out of the kitchen as a as a boy as a young boy because aunties and sisters were cooking. He's now the man who's doing more for spreading the word about Palestinian food than anyone else. It's a massive thing. Yeah, but not everybody lives in a in a refugee camp. I mean, that's not the story. And you did visit lots and lots of people living in their own homes. Tell even people who did live in refugee camps, it's, they would say that people meet them and they're surprised that they've got mobile phones and they're on yeah. Instagram and they've yes. got businesses and lives. And these are people who are born in refugee yeah. camps who who are living very busy, active lives. So, you know, one of our hopes for this book is that when we say refugee camps, everyone has a certain image in their mind. When people say Gaza, everyone has a certain image in their mind. But actually... When we think of Gaza, we think of the dill and the garlic and the green chilli. When we think of refugee camps, we think of our friends there and the guys walking around with their Nike trainers and mobile phones. So, and actually, you know, people maintain still a normal life. You know, they um, they live, they have mobile phones, they cook, they, 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 they fall in love, they get married. Life goes, life goes on, yeah. absolutely. Now, it is, <laughs> it is the land of lemons, of course. Now, the, the, the preserved lemons are actually your food moment. They absolutely are my food moment. And, and the I, moment where you actually kind of became Ottolenghi'd. I did become Ottolenghi'd. No, no, after that. <laughs> when I first met Sammy... I'd met Yossam and, and he knew that he wanted to do something with me, but he didn't quite know what it was. So I was shipped around the Ottolenghi kitchens for a few weeks, um, trying to find my place. And I'll never forget my day with Sammy when I was working with him. And he just phoned Yossam and said, who is this girl? <laughs> she does not chop like a Polish man. <laughs> and she doesn't even like preserved lemons. She just told me she thinks they taste like soap. And little did I know at that point that now I would be 10 years on, I would be literally having preserved lemons three times a day. Um, so that was the beginning of my culinary epiphany and now I'm knee deep in shatta and tahini and lemons and olive oil. So tell us about shatta because you talk about the flavour bombs, you use these kind of ideas, these flavour bombs, these condiments, these kind of little jars of precious jewels that you can add to anything and bring anything alive. Shatta is one of those, tell us what it is. Shatta is, so I'm a green shatta girl, you can be a red shatta girl depending on your kind of chilies and it couldn't be simpler, it's just a quickly pickled sort of fermented um, dish where you chop up your chilies, let them sit for three days in the fridge with some uh, salt and then blitz them up with some cider vinegar and lemon juice um, and the addiction starts there you can just put them on every bit of grilled meat fish every single egg salad um, and we I eat so much of it that it has now been renamed Shatara <laughs> <laughs> you can always count on Tara to, to get you a batch of Shatara two years ago she didn't even know what Shatara is <laughs> and now she puts it on everything <laughs> it's now in my bike pannier at all times yeah and where was the best place that you found it in Palestine in people's houses yeah in people's Everywhere. houses yeah. for sure yeah. 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 yeah 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 third food moment there's another couple of I don't know the Madeleine moments of 
of Sammy with the, the sort of bubblegum flavoured ice cream and <laughs> Haifa and also this Canafe moment in in uh, in Nablus that just sort of time just seemed to stop when when I watched Sammy eat these things that I thought frankly were pretty horrible um, but for him the connection with childhood and memory of this bubblegum kind of masticky ice cream um, took him back and then I was sitting in Nablus in in a shop where canafe was being made by the same man who'd been making okay. it for 60 years and Sammy and uh, and our friend stroke driver Araya who was a very cool Palestinian girl who took the speed bumps with a terrifying <laughs> terrifying uh, sort of gung-ho nature um, they both sat there and worked their way through 500 grams of canafe, 300 yes. grams. I mean, this is diabetes on a plate. Yeah, just break it down what this is, because it really is quite an extraordinary I recipe. I mean, first of all, um, when we went to Nablus, we haven't been to Nablus before. We went, it's almost like discovering a new Palestine, because life goes as they, they did when I was a kid. And... There's a shop, I mean, they're, they're famous for, for sweet, but there's this one shop that is very famous uh, doing the best knafe in, in, in the whole region. And of course, I, I started getting excited just looking at the, the knafe and then Tara, which is going to, I don't really get it. It's just like, and then we sat inside and this kind of funny man that was telling us that people queue with pita bread and they come in the morning and they stuff the knafe in the pita bread and have it for breakfast. And I was having a kind of all my life flashing in front of me, just kind of having spoons of this sweet, salty kind of dessert. Uh, and Tara kind of got the whole thing, but she didn't really connect to it so much. And me and Raya were just kind of scoffing this thing. In silence. And, you know, on these tables, you've got families sitting on these formica sort of chairs and tables or people just sitting them by themselves. Um, and then the owner was very strict about the fact that you weren't allowed to have a drink afterwards. You had to kind of keep this taste taste lingering. Uh, but these sort of beautiful moments where we were on this adventure together, but some moments where time would stop and I would then become the observer watching watching yeah. Sammy falling in love with something all over again that, that I did not understand. So fourth food moment, knafe, obviously. What is it? Knafe is um, it's a shredded filo. And uh, the bottom layer of it is uh, cheese that made in, or used to be made in Nablus, called Jibne uh, Nablusie, which is like Nablusie cheese. And it's like sort of stringy ricotta. Yeah, and it's, and it's a bit, it's slightly salty, so they have to soak it in water. And this is the kind of the bottom. They start with the with the top in the tray, which is uh, the filo, lots of butter, sometimes food coloring because it's really orange. And then the second uh, layer is the cheese. And then they bake it like this and then flip it and then drench it in sugar syrup. And when Sammy says drench, he means you need to get an umbrella out. <laughs> yeah, because, like... And they're made on these vast, vast round platters that are going round and round. And the smell as you're walking around Nablus of this sweet it's sugar sweet syrup. And butter and they go quickly because people, although we didn't really see the queue, but a whole big tray feeds probably like 30 people. So it's very people. strict rules. You have to sit down, eat, 30 go. people, they go, put it on a plate. <laughs> you just basically sit down and enjoy. And they always give you a, a glass of water with it and sometimes they offer you a coffee. But wasn't, wasn't he strict that we weren't allowed to drink the water? Wasn't there a rule about the No, he was that... joking about it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, he said to me, uh, if I give you water... 
you're not you're not gonna enjoy the the the, the, the taste exactly. of the knafe. Yeah. Yeah. And you took him at his word. So this is something like this. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a, it's a lot of a lot of joy and kind of uh, proud. Uh, also because of you know the whole the book is out now and people can soon buy it and. See read it and cook from it, which is a lovely kind of thing. And your family will be incredibly proud of I you. I know, they already are. But They cry the minute he enters the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful book. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and share the podcast wherever you can. And I'll see you next week.